talking to John chapter 1, if you would, with me. We're going to be reading one last time from John's gospel, this first prologue. And my hope is that as we keep reading this, that we're starting to familiarize ourselves with it. And really, my first sermon only got through verse 1. And I know in your bulletins that the outline for the sermon has me going from verses 4 to 13, but I'll just go ahead and let you know, really, we're only going to get through verses 4 and 5. And that's because of the depth of what John is doing here and drawing us back in time, back before the world began, and getting us see God's glory, the glory of the only begotten Son, and what he's doing in sending his Son. Let's read one last time from John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read till verse 13 this time. In the beginning was the Word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, we've been looking at John's gospel in these first couple verses. We've seen Jesus's divine origins. We've seen the humility of Jesus in lowering himself from heavenly bliss to enter into our darkness to save sinners. But one thing that we haven't addressed yet is why he did it. Why did God become man? And the answer to the question of why, what John poses to us, is by describing Jesus as the light of the world. And in describing Jesus as the light of the world, what we're going to see is the nature of this light to show the power of Jesus. What we'll see is that this light is a person that's Jesus Christ. That's probably news to you. Not really. 
John tells us in verse 17 that Jesus is the light. And then also ending with talking about the light and how its purpose was to save sinners. That's really all we're going to be looking at this morning. And when we think about light, how does that communicate salvation? Have you thought about that? That verse 4 connects this and says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What's this connection between light and life? Well, it's a connection that we see way back in that prophecy when God said he was going to send a Savior. Isaiah chapter 8 describes the condition of Israel in their current state, how they've rebelled against God, they've forgotten him, and as a result, they were going to live in exile, that they were going to be cast out of God's presence, that he was going to remove himself from them in the condition that they would find themselves in is miserable. And he describes their misery in Isaiah chapter 8 as darkness. If we're going to understand this light, we have to understand the context and the backdrop of what makes this light shine so brightly in the world. And that's the reality that we live in a dark world, a world of darkness. And this darkness includes two things, our sin and our misery. The word darkness referring to our misery, the pain that we go through, is something that if you look at the gospel, look at Job in his life, You'd expect to find it there if you're going to find it anywhere. And Job talks about his suffering as darkness 162 times. That he talks about how he is veiled in darkness, that his pain is darkness, that he's living and experiencing darkness. Not all of those 62 references, though, refer to his pain and misery. But I think we kind of get a sense of that. I read an article by Kevin DeYoung, and if you don't know who Kevin DeYoung is, just go ahead and pencil that name down. He's an excellent, excellent uh, author and PCA pastor who's uh, teaching at RTS Charlotte, Reformed Theological Seminary, which is where I went to school, so my alma mater. Well, Kevin DeYoung, I think, explains it well in the sense of feeling of darkness and the sense of pain and misery when he says doesn't it seem like every week we hear about wars and rumors of wars about terrorisms and mass shootings about christian persecution and cultural degradation we can look back on this past year and think of loved ones who have died or friends want friends who have been diagnosed with cancer others are gripped by addiction or saddled with chronic pain, or mired in depression that will not lift. In our own lives, there are too many tears, too many unknowns, too many closed doors. It is hard not to be discouraged, maybe even 
despair. And yet the spoiler is true. Darkness does not win. See, we really do have a problem, don't we? All these things, death and destruction, pain and misery. If I didn't have to inform you, that's the world that we live in and that's what dominates this earth. You'll learn it one day when you see this world, if you pay attention a little bit too closely to the news. See, we have to remind ourselves of this because sometimes we try to live in a fantasy land. We try to escape the darkness, not by means of focusing on Christ and a real hope that he gives us, but by distractions, by video games, by movies, by looking to the hope of Christmas time as being time with family, time with friends. Those things are good things that we should enjoy. But the light of the gospel that lights our dark world is something that actually deals with the problem of darkness, actually deals with pain and suffering. But suffering in the Bible is not just something that refers to our misery, though it does. The darkness that's spoken of is, refer is also a reference to our sin. Ephesians chapter 5, I think, actually illustrates this quite beautifully. Looking at Christians, he's warning, Paul is warning his Christian readers to beware of sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, to be not people who are marked by filthiness or foolish talk or crude humor. That these things should all be out of place for the Christian. And his reason there is he says in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 5 to say, Therefore, do not become partakers with them, those who practice such things, laughing at crude humor. He says, For at one time you were darkness, but you are now light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. See, what he's calling Christian believers to is to separate from sin because we have been brought into the light of Jesus Christ. We've been given the light of the way of salvation. We've been given the light that exposes how sinful and dirty our evil deeds are. He talks about sin as darkness. You see, my friends, this darkness that we live in has been true ever since Adam. And I think our confession actually is really helpful here, saying, what's the condition of fallen man ever since the fall? And it says it's one of sin and misery, that the sinfulness of that condition in which we fell into consists of our guilt of Adam's first sin, our want or lack of that original righteousness and fellowship with God that we had in the beginning. And now also, which proceeds from this, the corruption of our whole nature, those three things being called original sin. 
And we know that we live in darkness because what proceeds from this guilt, from this corruption that we have inherited from Adam is actual sins. And we all know that we're without excuse. That before Christ came and shined the light of the gospel in our lives, we too not only looked at the darkness, we might not like our pain and misery, but we sure did like our sin and hated the light of the gospel exposing our sin. All this, this misery that is summarized in our confession, I think helpfully saying that all mankind lost their communion with God, our original relationship. That the reason why we are in darkness is because we are under God's wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. It's in this context that God said, and after Isaiah chapter 8, that he was going to send a light into the world. Now, what is the light that he's going to send into the world? Is he going to send truth that's enlightenment? That people were going to find it, find out the way of salvation and come to know it, and now it's going to lead them out of darkness? Isaiah chapter 9 says the answer to that promise in verses 6 and 7 was that God was going to keep his promise in sending a great light, and that light was going to be a child. A child who was born, who was going to be called Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. See, when we talk about the light of the world as the second point, the light is a person. Our hope as Christians is not that we would just be enlightened, that we would come to a knowledge of truth, and that if we just learned the right things and were educated, that would solve all our problems. That would deal with the darkness. Many people buy into that lie of dealing with the darkness by education. I think we often do too. Thinking that if we learn enough, learn truth, that we'll be able to deal with the consequences of sin, that we'll be able to avoid the sins that we really do because we actually love them, or that we can undo the miseries of this life and that we can achieve some sort of utopia in this world. The reality is that the light is not just truth in the abstract, but truth in a person. I'm not sure how you feel about guns, so please uh, don't hold this analogy against me. But have you ever heard the analogy that guns don't kill people, people kill people? The point that we're trying to, that people try to make by saying that is not that guns aren't dangerous and that they're not powerful. They are. The point is to say that guns are inanimate objects. They are just potential. They are truth in the abstract, in the abstract. The point is that someone has to pull the trigger to kill someone. 
Jesus Christ is the one who wields the power of salvation. He's the light of the world in the sense that he has the power within himself to forgive sins, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. That's who we trust in. Do you grasp that? Do you hope in attaining the knowledge of the truth, thinking that you can find out some sort of way, maybe even outlined in the Bible, that will relieve all your pain and suffering? Let me be the first to tell you that you will not deal with any of your pain, any of your suffering, ultimately by discovering some route, even found outlined in the Bible. If it's detracted from or pulled away from the person of Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you the simple truth that Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father, no one's reconciled to God except through me. That's what we're talking about here. The power of a person. And the illustration he gives here, John gives us, is he says, light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. You probably, you might be looking at your outline saying, I didn't mention that first point, and you're, you're right. That what's being focused on here in this is what John's looking at is the nature of this person, that, that second point, the light is a person. He's drawing out then an illustration of the very nature of light. From the very nature of night, light, it's pow more powerful than the darkness. From that same article, Kevin DeYoung points out that this is what happens when you go from point two to point one. I, I wouldn't suggest it in general. That his point here is that light is, by its very nature, more powerful than darkness. That the fact of the matter is that when darkness is more pervasive, the light shines brighter. You know what makes Jesus so noticeable in this world? It's that he's the only hope of this world. He is like a light shining in darkness. Kevin DeYoung says, have you ever had your, uh, your kids shine a flashlight in your face in the middle of the night? Have you ever been kept awake just by a small little nightlight in the corner of your room? Have you ever been drawn in with curiosity, looking at, in the town, you see a light shining up in the sky? You know, the fact of the matter is, is that no matter how much darkness there is in this world, the nature of light and how it works is it dispels the darkness. It pierces through it. This is the power of Jesus Christ. This is the gun which he holds, not to take life, but to give life. And that last point, the light is compared, lastly, to life. The light came to bring life. It's made in that very first verse, or 
verse 4. I told you I wasn't going to get beyond verse 5. Verse 4 says, in him, we're going to learn in verse 17, is Jesus was life. And that life was made, and the life was the light of men. You know, John actually doesn't answer exactly how, in this prologue, how light brings life. But let me just give you a quick summary. In John's gospel, the first thing he's going to do when talking to Nicodemus is he's going to shine the light of his power into the mental darkness of Nicodemus. He's going to shine his light to expose the moral darkness of the woman at the well in Sychar, but he's not going to leave her just exposed to her sinful deeds. He's going to give her eternal life in him. He's going to bring light to the darkness that was brought into that little home in Bethany. When Mary and Martha had their brother taken away from them by death, that home was filled with darkness by pain of death, ripping a loved one out. And Jesus brought light into that home. He brought Lazarus back from the dead. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about the power of the light. That this light that's all pervasive, that's shining in this dark world, has the power wherever Jesus aims it and wields it to resolve it fully. Do you know what this means? This means that in the person of Jesus Christ, he has the power to deal with all your guilt, with all your shame, with all the corruption that's in your life. He's able to deal with the problem, the hopelessness you feel when a loved one dies. He's able to deal with the sickness that is debilitating your body. He's able to deal with your pain. You see, the hope of Christmas that the light came into the world is so much greater than just family and the joy that it brings into our home. It does bring joy, doesn't it? A little semblance of light. Light of seeing children excited about presents. The light of enjoying just time with loved ones. But any light that shines in this world is ephemeral. It's transient. It's not long-lasting. Any light that this world offers, if it terminates in that thing, it ends up being like a vapor. As soon as you get your hands around that joy, that peace, that hope, it's gone. Medicine might cure our pains and ills for a time, but one day we are going to stand before God. And no hope this world can offer can ever deal with the darkness of what our sins deserve. Because the pains and miseries of this life, because it's 
a result of God's wrath and curse is also going to continue with us into hell if we do not seek out the light. But our hope, dear friends, is that when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, as Jesus Christ was born from above, guess what? The Holy Spirit is able to make us born again. Our eyes have the scales fall off them, and we see the light of the glorious gospel that was always there. And when we trust in him, Jesus is more than capable of paying for it all. I'm a child of the 90s, and I grew up in non-denominational churches with contemporary worship songs. And I could not get one song out of my head. The light of the world, you step down out of darkness. Open my eyes, let me see the beauty that made this heart adore you. All for love's sake became poor. What's the response? What's the response of the light of the world stepping into darkness, opening our eyes, giving us life? It's here I am to worship. That's our response. That's why we're here on Christmas morning. We're here because we are worshiping the light of the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it was your mission from the very beginning that the why, the answer to the question, why did God become man is because he came in it to save condemned by God sinners. Jesus did not have to come into the world to condemn sinners because sinners were condemned already, as John tells us. What Jesus came to do was to bring eternal life. And he did it by the light of his person, by the light of his power and his ability to save sinners. And Lord, we are so thankful that you are still opening eyes with your Holy Spirit to see the glorious light of Jesus Christ. May we never, ever, ever grow blind to it. And may that light never become dim to us via time or tradition, repeating the same old story. May we always seek you in your word, praying that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to hear, or eyes to see and ears to hear this light, that it would never grow dim to us, and that we would always come to worship you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray, amen.